Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. This is episode 198, uh, and I am your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And we're pretty excited for this. It's our, our second episode of the holiday theme that we've been doing all month. Um, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we, we decided to uh, start with Hanukkah because Hanukkah was actually going through uh, the first few days of December this year. Um, it's sort of a floating holiday, but that's uh, beside the point. Uh, today, we decided to continue our theme by going um, around around the world. Um, but I guess before we get too far along into, into that whole discussion, uh, dear, how are you? Um, I'm doing well. Nothing really, I guess, to, to report on this end. We are celebrating a very happy birthday, Film Bud's birthday today. Um, I It's not me, so I wonder who it could be. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, thank you. I um, It is my birthday. I turned 29 today as of recording. Uh, you'll be listening to this the day after my birthday. Um, but no, yeah, thank you. It's... Uh, it's a lot of fun. I did a post on, on Twitter earlier about how, you know, like I met Henry when I was, um, like 23 or so. Um, and then like at the first time I came on the show was around 25 to 26. And, uh, now here I am, uh, approaching 30, you know, 29 now. And, um, and I'm, I'm hosting the show and, and things are wildly different than, than when I first met him and when I first came on the show. So it's been a it's been a fun journey. Yes. Um so today we were originally I do have to make one little clarification. Originally the plan was that we would be doing three movies. We were going to be doing um Eight Women, which is a French film, Tokyo Godfathers, uh, which is an anime, and then Rare Exports, which which is a Finnish film. Sadly, uh, eight women did not get shipped in time, uh, and there's, I mean, I could have found, I'm sure, like, illicit means of, of watching it, but I didn't feel up to doing that sort of search, um, to find eight women. So, sadly, uh, eight women will not be joining us in today's episode, which is international Christmas films, holiday films. Uh, I thought, you know, if, if the whole idea was to do a whole bunch of you know, alternative options, then I wanted to go and, and take us around the world. And so we're still going to be going and doing um, Japan and, and Finland, but sadly, uh, I guess because the French don't produce this movie on disc a lot, uh, we won't be getting uh, eight women in this episode, so I apologize. Well, hopefully we'll be able to to get it soon and maybe, maybe throw it on to, to next week's. Yeah, maybe. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, this episode's a little bit fun. I decided to go and, um, again, on Twitter, I just kind of mentioned that we were watching Tokyo Godfathers, and I asked if anyone had, had seen it, and we ended up getting, uh, a fun, a fun little guest because of that question. Uh, a user reached out, uh, who is someone that I know from college as well, who Henry knows from college as well. Austin Craver, and he asked if he could come on. Um, and so I guess, honestly, without any further ado, we should jump into our first 
uh, film that we're reviewing, which is 2003's Tokyo Godfathers, and we have a clip, so take a listen. So that was our clip of 2003's Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, it is directed by Satoshi Khan, uh, and its three principal cast members are Toru Imori, Yoshiaki Umagaki, and Aya Okamoto. And the premise is on Christmas Eve, three homeless people living on the streets of Tokyo discover a newborn baby among the trash and set out to find its parents. Uh, to come on and talk with us about this one, uh, we actually had a request to come on. And I, I had to honor it because he's one of the foremost anime and manga experts that I know. And so <laughs> we're joined today by a very special guest host of the third impact podcast austin craver well hey paul i i would i would not call it a request so much as a mandate a demand <laughs> like a a shameless self-insert uh but yes uh i i my name is austin i am the uh producer and uh co-host of the third impact anime podcast where we talk about japanese cartoons uh from all eras all time periods Except we don't we don't talk about seasonal anime because that is a uh, a dark black hole of never being to able to escape the deluge of content. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you, thank you guys for allowing me to come on and talk about uh, Tokyo Godfathers, one of my favorite films from one of my favorite directors, not not just anime directors, but directors in general. Oh wow, that's very high praise. For sure, I mean, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think Satoshi Kon deserves it. I mean, he his his output is not the biggest in the world, but it's some of the most, you know, influential, you know, anime films and really Japanese films of all time, I would say. Nice. So, um, and, you know, like, it's all about quantity over quality, really. Or uh, sure, quality yeah. over quantity, you know. If you, mm -hmm. if you go and put out, like, just endless amounts of drivel, um, you know, you might be well known for a time, but like it's never going to hold up as long as putting out like a really solid, you know, filmography that has a lot of care and thought put into it. Yeah, there, there's certainly a few anime directors I can think of that are definitely exactly what you described, but I won't go into that. It's uh, we'll <laughs> save that for another time. No, that 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 sounds fair. Uh, so, how did you come across Tokyo Godfathers? Well, probably. Well, I didn't come across Tokyo Godfathers itself directly. I think my, my entryway to discovering this film was discovering Satoshi Kon and his oeuvre um, in the first place. So back in high school, I got really into exploring more um, classic anime, meaning like films and TV shows from like the 80s and 90s. So I went on Amazon at the time and got like you know your your classic anime starter pack i got a uh, ghost in the shell i got uh, akira and another film that i got was also satoshi khan's 2006 film i believe uh, paprika um and i watched all of those um in that time period and were just blown away by all three of them um but paprika 
at the at the time, I thought Paprika was like my favorite one. So of course, I had to dive deeper into Satoshi Kon's sort of library of works. So that led me to stuff like Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, and probably I think I don't. My memory's a little bit fuzzy. I think Tokyo Godfathers is the one I watched. I didn't watch it as part of like the first crop. I think I watched it after watching more of his serious, like, um, more, I don't know, thriller oriented content. So watching Tokyo Godfathers after Perfect Blue, for example, is just like wild whiplash, super big whiplash. Um, but yeah, I watched it a number of years ago on the old Sony DVD that they put out, which didn't have an English dub track on it so i'm really glad that g kids was able to re-release it on in hd with a brand new english dub so uh and i've you know i've loved it ever since i saw it a number of years ago no that's awesome uh it's rare that you know i get to sit and listen to 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 someone talk you know and just have such great expert knowledge just you know <laughs> so oh, readily please. available so that little <laughs> that little breakdown was wonderful <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, nothing to add, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll just flip the script. How did you guys discover Tokyo Godfathers? I'm really curious to to know how people that are like, now, correct me if I'm wrong, who are not, like, people who are not super into anime, how they discover anime titles. So I'm, I'm really more curious to see how you guys found out about it. Um, well, she's she's probably more into anime than I am. Um, she's seen a few more and, and has probably dived a little bit further into some of them than I have. No, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done like, you know, the popular series is I've, I've watched, um, some of, some of Naruto, but most of Naruto Shippuden, um, I've done the, oh gosh, what is it called? Um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I did also the other one as well, the, but I like Brotherhood more. Um, yep, as you do. And it just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just kind of was like the uh, content that I just, you know, everything was new and interesting. And I always really enjoyed watching animes because I'm like more Western um, cartoons. They they always like pushed the limits uh, and did interesting concepts and interesting ideas and were always fully committed to them. And I always just really enjoyed like trying to go down the rabbit hole of finding new ones that I liked. And obviously there are, you know, ones that you like more than others and ones that you wish that were longer. Oh, but, sure. Yeah, you know, and then some people are like, man, if only they would suck me all these filler episodes in and get to the point. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like, I, I haven't really gotten into just singular movies before. So this was a really fun um, dive into into a less familiar area of anime for me yeah yeah um, well, i think you you pointed out something um pretty crucial I, I think a lot of people their entryway to anime is more on the television end like they watch things um from like toonami back in the day or even toonami mm -hmm. now because it's it's still running um or you know series that are on streaming services or what have you but Movies don't really get as much publicity as your big shows like My Hero Academia, Naruto, like you said, Full Metal, Demon Slayer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's like this whole world of anime film that's not really as explored as sort of the TV stuff. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I mean, from a 
from an outside, you know, of, of the anime bubble, I would say perspective, the only real anime movies that, that really, you know, heard, heard talked about, you know, uh, growing up and, and even in film school oftentimes were uh, Miyazaki and his whole, you know, filmography. And that was really kind of the extent of like anime films that I knew people were actively talking about at the time. Hmm, can't say I know who this Miyazaki guy is. Sounds <laughs> sounds pretty sounds pretty obscure to me. Yeah. Uh and so I I didn't explicitly set out to one have so much animation in our holiday episode or how our holiday month. Um but I went and, and decided to look up uh different Christmas films and I was trying to come up with different ideas for uh, Christmas content and holiday content and there was a list and I normally don't go off of just like you know Rotten Tomatoes it was a Rotten Tomatoes list that was like here are the <laughs> the things that have the the highest scores you know that hit this certain criteria field and so it was like here here's a list of the movies that are the highest rated international Christmas films mm. and so that's actually where both 8 Femmes if if we end up being able to do that one and um or if we've already done it depending on on how this goes uh but that's where i saw eight fems and also um tokyo godfathers and honestly once i saw those two i kind of just ignored the rest of the list uh, i was like this <laughs> sounds way too interesting to pass up um and they only had like a part of the synopsis like it finished out at like an ellipsis so you had to click and go and finish reading it and so i went over and i finished reading the full synopsis and i was like no this definitely sounds like the exact kind of thing that i want to go and and introduce people to and so it was really just um as easy as that and i haven't really had the chance to to do a deep dive into much more of of his work or anything like that but but i was just like if you know if i have to have a, a an international film i think that this is definitely one that i want and that's how, oh, yeah. that's how I ended up landing on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were going to ask me, I would say you, you nailed it for sure. Because uh, yeah, Tokyo Godfathers, I think, is is probably one of those films. Well, I think, I guess, let me back up. So it seems like the more that people get exposed to Tokyo Godfathers, the more it becomes sort of a staple of, like, the Christmas canon. Like, I could envision a world easily where, like, Tokyo Godfathers ends up on like essential Christmas films to watch sort of lists that are all over the place. But I think one of the things that sort of stood in the way of that for a number of years until very recently within the last two or three is that there was no English dub available for it until the recent um, G-Kids and Shout Factory license of the film where they produced a brand new dub for it. And um, I think, I mean, it's it's just a fact of the matter that most of the time, general audiences are more likely to watch something if it's in their native language. So I think asking people to watch the something that is only available in Japanese is not as accessible as something that has both options. So I think now that both exist and the film is, you know, in print again, people can start, um, you know, finding it and exploring it and watching it just like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was just uh, as easy as renting it on Amazon and and just hitting play. And so it was um, going into what we thought of it. I absolutely had a, a blast 
with this movie. You know, I read the synopsis and I was like, this sounds good. And then I started watching it and I was like, this is a fucking Christmas movie. Like this is, <laughs> you know, in, in all of the best ways without any of the, of the sort of Western schmaltz of, of Christmas movies that oftentimes just sort of lingers uh, sour in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> this movie was just so delightful and super fun and I had a blast with it. Oh yeah, yeah there's, honestly. There's no scene where they have to go buy a honey-baked ham and it gets run over in the street. That's my Christmas with the Cranks reference <laughs> for this episode. Um, but no, and so like I thought that it was super well done. I thought that the characters were so instantly interesting and likable. You know, the moment that you first meet um, Jin and uh, Hana, I, I was like, these guys, they're great. They're kooky. They're fun. Um, and, you know, the, the teenager, much like in many anime stories, I feel, is, is probably one of the more annoying parts of the cast. But even <laughs> she has this really lovely arc and this lovely journey. Um, and it has, it, you know, I think a Christmas movie or a holiday movie essentially has to have, you know, themes of family. Um, usually there is always at least one sort of miracle of some kind, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and it also has to have, um, I think, an earnestness to it. You know, it has to really want to actually get at what those ideas are, and not really just sort of, you know, drape them around. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that this movie really managed to to sort of check all of those lists for me. And even though there are Christmas miracles sort of scattered throughout, I never thought that it felt um, unearned or cheap. Mm-hmm. I think in a way the film sort of indicates that it's it's aware of the schmaltziness of Christmas and tries to subvert it a little bit and the scene that I'm specifically thinking of is whenever the street kids beat up Jin and he's just like laying in the alleyway and like is is like resigned to his fate he was just like you know take me now I'm about to die and then this very stereotypical like Christmas angel comes up and says, oh gosh, what does she say? It's like, would you like, would you like me to use my magic or would you like an ambulance? And he asks for an ambulance and it's, it's just revealed that this is just a lady in, the cost, in a costume, not an actual angel. Um, I thought that was a really, not only is it a really funny scene and a really funny setup and payoff, but it's just like kind of poking fun at um, sort of traditional, um, uh, for lack of, I mean, you said it best yourself, Christmas schmaltziness. Um, by by sort of being a little bit irreverent, but also making for a, for a fairly sweet scene because she does end up rescuing him, and that's that's awfully nice of her to do. Oh yeah, no, honestly, I think that this movie just has a has a lovely wholesomeness to it, and has everything that kind of you need from from that feeling of of Christmas, you know, that that togetherness and. And the the magic of the holiday is 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 wrapped all throughout this movie. You know, even when these characters end up getting pulled down what seems to be the wrong direction at the end of that is is their miracle. And that's kind of how you know in in Christianity how how God works. And he works in mysterious ways. You know, you never go down the path that you're expecting to go down until you re- you reap the benefit of of the trial. And I think that's kind of what this movie is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that's, that's very, that's, that would be very, I mean, I can't really speak to this because I'm not 
Japanese myself and haven't didn't grow up there, not steeped in the culture, but um, a lot of the history of Christmas as we know it in Japan is sort of it's like an imported aesthetic. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of it's absent of the religious sort of perspective that comes along in more Western um, cultures. Um, I mean, w- certainly in the West, we do plenty of the, you know, the t- standard commercialization of Christmas, but in Japan, it's like basically all, all that. So to see Satoshi Kon sort of explore, you know, where, where does this aesthetic tradition really come from? Like what are the philosophical and maybe religious and maybe spiritual roots behind, you know, the, the idea of what Christmas is, um, to see him explore that through this Japanese lens, I think it's just a really fascinating thing to see because it does have those like Christmas miracle types of things in it, but it seems like he really does understand what that means. And I think that that speaks to, you know, something that's pretty consistent throughout a lot of his work is his deep understanding of like human beings and the way that we interact with each other and the way that we interact with our world. Um, and, uh, there were more thoughts there, but they're, they've uh, a, a Christmas mir- a, qu- a Christmas wind has whisked them away. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that one of the other things that helps, um, I think, make the meanings and the lessons of this movie land um, particularly well is also the fact that, you know, unlike so much Western fare and, and Western holiday fare, it doesn't it doesn't focus on a middle class to an upper middle class, you know, even in a wealthy family like the McAllisters, you know, so many mm. of the of the stuff that we have focuses on this kind of socioeconomic bracket from here and up. And here we get to go and and all of these lessons that they learn and all of these things that they gain, as you said, sort of through trial and also remembering, you know, that that forgiveness can happen and these sorts of things. All of the lessons land more, I think, because the film does choose to focus on um, people on the fringe and the socioeconomically disadvantaged and things like that. And so I think that that also helps really make so much of the themes and lessons really land and, and stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it and it's kind of a subversion of what we expect from you know, the unhoused in our world. It's just like these these are people that they are in need of help. They are in need of services. And while that's certainly true, I think it's a mistake to assume that they don't also have something to offer you in return. I mean, you as in like society, people at large, because I mean, they are people and every everyone has something to offer. And I think that this film, by showing that these characters are in very dire straits and they do make, um, you know, bad choices from time to time. Um, and a lot of their sort of life, the, the, the things that they've that happened in their lives that were both in control and beyond their control sort of contributed to the situation that they're in. They still have something to offer the world. So when and so it's important not to look away. And I think that the film shows that in a in a in a in a world like the one that Tokyo Godfathers inhabits, which is supposed to be our world, there is a temptation to just you know look away from the homeless. They don't really have anything to offer us. They can't do anything for us. But this film is really about the exact opposite of that, which is I think very poignant and very uh very in that Christmas vibe, you know. 
Because it's not like the whole, it's not like the Holy Family wasn't also homeless for a little bit. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, going out and and needing a place, and people pushing them away because they were they didn't have what you know. I guess the society deemed needed at that time. You know, um, no, I think that this movie is just so beautiful, um, and even these people get to get to have something that they didn't have before and are willing to, to give as much as they can to help this child find their, their home, willing to, to risk their lives for this baby who probably, you know, won't remember this day. And it's just, it's just absolutely lovely because you kind of forget that that's the whole reason behind the holidays is to, to give what you can, not, you know, to, to go up, above and beyond and, and extravagance because it doesn't matter. You're missing the point of it being something that is truly, truly grounding, you know, bringing people together, creating family, even when these people aren't, you know, related, they, they've still lived their lives together, lived time together and, and willing to sacrifice anything and all for the people that they love. No, absolutely. Um, no, very, very well said, you know, uh, you know, charity and goodwill toward man and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. Sounds like a load of humbug to me. <laughs> um, no, very, very well said, dear. Uh, also, as a sort of a bit of a gear shift, um, the movie is also animated excellently as well. You know, it, it's also lovely to watch just on a purely visual level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've spoke... never seen. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, please. I, I, I could ramble forever. I want to. <laughs> you, you go for it, please. I was going to say that um, I've never seen the original Japanese version of it, but I also thought that the, the English dub. I thought that they did a great job, really melding nicely with with the, you know, the animation that was already there. So, um, and yeah, Studio Madhouse, they started in the 1970s as a spinoff of um, a Mushi production, um, and they were founded by some really hu- huge icons of, of anime, both yesterday and today, Masao Maruyama um, and Osamu Dezaki, and a bunch of other people. I actually got to meet um, uh, Maruyama, who's a currently active producer. He's probably about a thousand years old at this point. Uh, he, uh, he was at Animazement a few years ago promoting uh, some of the work that he was doing, and I, I got him to autograph my copy of Tokyo Godfathers, so I'm very, very, very proud to have that. He has a very iconic glasses and mustache combo, so he always draws that as part of his autograph, which is pretty cool. Um, but that being said, Matt, I mean, Madhouse is, is pretty legendary in the industry. They've done... Uh, stuff like uh, the the '90s hyper violent, wild animation projects like Ninja Scroll, Wicked City. They they did Perfect Blue. They worked on basically everything Satoshi Kon ever made. Um, so they're they're very established, and they were back in that period of time as well. And the the absolute attention to detail and craftsmanship that comes through with the both the animation of the characters and the uh, the, the scenery and the settings that they all the work that they put into those it, it really shines and uh, they talked a little bit about uh, in the featurette the idea of well they wanted the film to be they wanted the settings of the film to be actual real places in Tokyo that would look like what you would see on the street 
But the benefit of using animation as opposed to live action is that you can exaggerate certain features to make it seem a little bit more larger than life. Like you can play with compositing, you can play with lighting um, of you know specific elements of the street. They talked about how difficult it was to composite and uh, make trash bags look good in animation. Because you see a lot of garbage bags in this movie. I mean, as you can imagine. Um, and I think that it's it's really interesting to see, you know, what, what animation can provide, even when you're doing something that is like, quote unquote, realist, like this film kind of is. It's still like magical realism. And I think that there's a benefit of using animation to convey those ideas that you can't really get in live action. Maybe you could if you worked really, really hard. Um, but it's just something that animation uniquely provides. No, absolutely, because, you know, for an example, you know, mild spoilers, when when um, Hannah jumps after the baby and, you know, lands onto the, is holding onto the big, like, sheet, you know, of curtain, and the wind comes through and, and blows <laughs> into the air, that would probably look, especially in today's time, like absolute shit in live <laughs> action. <laughs> uh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I, I really appreciate the dedication and, and work that they put into this because it does have this very, um, even the world itself, you know, like you said, has this kind of magical realism to it. And it's very, it draws you in, you know, mm -hmm. um, very thoroughly. And the city feels just as much, um, you know, involved in the story as, as anyone else. Yeah, like they go to convenience stores, they go to the hospital, you know, and you see all of these different things that are part of real life living in Tokyo in the early 2000s. You see stressed out businessmen walking around everywhere. Um, it, it just feels it feels really real. But also no, has that twinkle, you know, that that added uh, detail. And I do think it's interesting the fact that they use Tokyo Tower specifically as like a like a Star of Bethlehem kind of motif where it's like constantly just there, you know, it's just just in the background. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, you now you said that uh, this was apparently specifically structurally calling on um, another film. You said before we started recording, you had mentioned that yeah. you had done some research. So can you can you explain a little bit of that? I can, in a vague sense, because I will admit that I have not actually seen this film, but apparently Satoshi Kon, the general idea for Tokyo Godfathers came from a John Ford movie with John Wayne. Did they ever make anything separate? I don't know, probably not. Uh, called The Three Godfathers, which is like a, a Western version of this kind of story. I think they also have a baby. Um, and he just wanted to reinterpret sort of that idea into this film. Um, I mean, that, I think that's about the extent of it, but uh, Satoshi Kon definitely seems to be the type of guy that will take, like, a tiny seed of an idea and just, like, go buck wild with it. Um, it kind of reminds me of another very iconic creator, uh, Osamu Tezuka, who you guys might know as, like, the creator of Astro Boy and Blackjack and other really iconic characters like that. He wrote a manga called Metropolis, uh, you know the the classic 1920s black and white German film Metropolis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he never he never actually watched that movie, but he saw a poster for it, and he was like, "I want to make a manga based on this poster." And I think up until the day he died, he never actually watched the movie. So 
I don't know what made me thought of think of that, but but Khan and and um, Tezuka seem to be on that similar wavelength of taking, you know, this tiny inspiration and just going going nuts with it. Hey, I love that, and clearly he didn't need to ever watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might have. He probably did. He was kind of a film buff, but um. Oh, oh, you meant Metropolis. Never mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Pretend I didn't say anything. Um, but also, you know, that speaks to when we were doing our episode on uh, Japanese film and we did, you know, sort of Doom and, and Tampopo. That speaks. And, you know, you were talking about the import of Christmas itself into Japan. And I think that, um, you know, the the inclusion of John Ford, you know, goes into this very obvious and, and creators going and taking seeds of ideas and, you know, mm -hmm. the import of American and European content and things like that into Japan during, um, you know, the, the late forties and the fifties really just dramatically, you know, altered the, the, the cinematic trajectory on, on a certain level. And, and it now is this wonderful cycle of, you know, now you have American creators who are regularly inspired by anime and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, wanting to work some of that into film now. And so I think that that is one of the, one of the lovely things about film and is such a repeated theme in some of, especially the historical things that we've gone back and looked at is this seeing of where people have you know, the ancestral sort of nature of film, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. this, um, constant influencing of each other across uh both time and uh geography mm -hmm. well, we yeah absolutely mm -hmm. yeah like in, in that vein i don't want to get too off topic but uh in that vein i recently watched akira kurosawa's throne of blood which is basically his samurai retelling of macbeth um so it's it's really interesting to see the sort of quintessential sort of western play from Shakespeare reinterpreted in a Japanese context and see it pulled off so like beautifully and everything works, everything fits together. It really shows the sort of um, the, the transcultural nature of a story like Macbeth because there's always going to be insane madmen with insane wives, like no matter where you go. Uh, so it, it, it is neat. You're right. Yeah. Um, Austin, do you have any, any final thoughts on, on Tokyo Godfathers? Well, I feel like there's so many different rabbit holes you can go into when it comes to this film. I mean, we could, we could talk briefly about, um, sort of the unique character of Hana in this film being a, a lead character in a film that is a, a trans woman, um, and I think there has been some, like, generalized, uh, maybe not controversy necessarily, but some like questions around like uh, the portrayal of, of Hana in the films, because in, in her original form in the early 2000s, she was portrayed as more of a, just like a, a drag queen. And the, the, the guy that they got to voice Hana, it's like, that was his profession. They were, uh, they got an actual drag Japanese dra drag performance uh, person to, um, to play her character. But I think as time has gone along, people have reinterpreted the character as more of a trans character than a 
than just like just simply a drag queen and that has been reflected in the more recent localization where they got a uh, a trans actress to play Hana to portray that character and they reinterpreted the character in that way uh, so I think that there's a lot to be said there um, a friend a good friend of mine Sully who's really into studying LGBT culture and history from both a Western and from a Japanese perspective, uh, he could probably have more to say about that because I know that there are there are some um, there are some crossovers with the way that Hannah is Hana is portrayed and the Okama stereotype, which is like I, I don't want to speak out of term, but it's like kind of it's like more of a derogatory term for like a trans person or a drag queen or something like that. I, I don't know 100% the definition, but there have been, you know, just like in the West, there have been conversations about, you know, reclamation and reinterpretation of these identities and things like that. And I think the conversation with Tokyo Godfathers is just sort of ongoing. It's It's interesting to see how that how that continues to reinvent itself in conversations uh, across from when the film came out to today. And I think that that makes, makes the film um, kind of good breeding ground for, uh, for conversations and uh, on representation and characterization and everything like that. No, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the first synopsis that I read did describe it as an alcoholic, a runaway teenager and a drag queen. Right. But as we started watching the movie, I was like, oh, she, this is a trans character. I was like, you know, the, the synopsis might be a little bit outdated, you know, but like, if you're actually really watching, I think the content of the story, it definitely comes across as um, far more of a, of a, of a, you know, trans woman's identity than, than as, you know, a, a drag performance, you know, right. Um, she, exactly. She's living in that reality daily. Mm -hmm. It's not just on stage. No, yeah, and I think that that's I think that that's at least from 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 what I've I've learned of of from performing myself is that you know um, the drag persona is is something that you put on to to go on to stage and it's 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 a character whereas for Hannah this is this is her every day this is her life mm -hmm. you know she's not turning this off for anybody and she very very fervently you know, denies any claims of being a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you guys said it really well. Um, it's like this, this is her reality. It's not a costume that she puts on and takes off at the end of the day. And I think the reinterpretation to understand the nuances of Hannah's character that have always been there, um, I think are really important to sort of a more modern, uh, less maybe knee-jerk understanding of the way that these people's uh, the way that these people feel about themselves and the way that they interact with the world and their own identity. No, absolutely. Um, so Austin, if you if you had to give Tokyo Godfathers a rating out of out of five, what would you give it? I mean, I'm not super picky, really. I mean, I could get into decimal points, but I'll just go get I'll go ahead and give it a five. It's a great film. I would give all of uh, Satoshi Kon's films probably a five, um, but I love it. It's great. The cast of characters are wonderful. Uh, we, we could spend so much more time talking about it, but I know you guys have other films to get to, um, but it's great. Uh, Jin is an awesome character. Hana's an awesome character. Miyuki likes to spit on people, so she's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, great film. You got to check it out, and it's not too long either. Short films are awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's an hour 32, so it's it's 92 minutes of, of your time, and 
and it's very well worth it, I would say. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Uh, dear, what would you give Tokyo Godfathers out of five? Oh, five out of five. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Uh, five <laughs> out of five for me as well. It was, it was so refreshing, especially after um, our last week's episode was Eight Crazy Nights, and that was just disastrous. So, <laughs> Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> I haven't watched that film since I was a kid, and I probably shouldn't have been watching that film whenever I was a kid. Probably not, but I also don't recommend you watch it now. <laughs> it didn't get better Noted. You, I promise you. <laughs> Noted. Um, but no, that that was a really great um, conversation. Austin, would you like to shamelessly plug, you know, anything uh, where people can find you when your show posts, that sort of thing? Sure, absolutely. Again, my name is Austin. I am the producer and co-host of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. You can find us most easily over on our website, which is thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, we call ourselves a bi-weekly podcast, but I think that's more of an allegation than a hard truth. Uh, we try and stick to that. We don't always. But uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at ti underscore anime. And the most recent episode that we've put out... Uh, at the time of this recording was our um, Halloween special on Junji Ito's Uzumaki, which is a very classic horror manga. Actually, the first manga we've ever covered on the podcast, which is pretty crazy. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's me, and I, we do our podcast over there, and it's a lot of fun. And thank you guys so much for letting me come on. Yeah, honestly, thank you for... for uh answering the call you know when i i put out on twitter i was like has anyone seen it and <laughs> honestly when you said that you wanted to come on i was like no this is this is going to be perfect this is going to be great well, um, thank you i'm so glad anytime you guys talk about anime or whatever con consider me there yeah deal I'll, I'll hold you to that cool um well that's it for tokyo godfathers we're now going to travel from uh japan all the way over to finland with our next film uh, from 2010 called Rare Exports. And as always, we have a clip, so take a listen. It's the most magical time of the year. When traditions are honored. And the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. That was a clip for Rare Exports, uh, which came out in 2010. The director is Yalmari Halander, and the premise is in the depths of the Korvatunturi Mountains, 486 meters deep, lies the closest ever-guarded secret of Christmas. The time has come to dig it up. This Christmas, everyone will believe in Santa Claus. And it stars... Yorma... Uh, Tomila? Oni Tomila and Peter Jacobi. And those are, uh, those are our, it's actually, I think, a father and son who, who play father and son in the movie. Um, and so 
that's kind of a weird synopsis for me. I'm not sure that that really does what the, it, it kind of gets to what this movie is about, but also not. Yeah, I'm not sure it really sells people on what this movie is. I really enjoy the, this Christmas, everyone will believe in Santa Claus. Yeah, they will. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this description is making this movie sound very, uh, almost tamer, I would say, in some ways than, than the actual movie it is. Dear, what did you think of, well, first off, uh, I will explain how we found this movie. Yes. So, originally, you know, I had done the search, as I mentioned, to Austin for two movies and i found them then i was going and i was talking with a neighbor of mine mark spagnolo who is a a dear friend Uh, i've known mark since i was a kid and i told him about what we were doing on the podcast and he was like oh i've got i've got a movie for you uh let me go and, and make sure that i have the right title and that i have the file and everything but i've got a movie for you and i was like okay sure and he was like, it's a Finnish film called Rare Exports, and and that's pretty much all I'm going to tell you. It's it's out there, and I think you'll love it. And that was pretty much all of the lead-up that we got for it. And so we we sat down, and kind of again, like with Tampopo, where it was like, you know, someone really brought us something, so I'm going to um, to include it. And so we, we decided to sit down and watch it. And now I'll, I'll throw it off to you. Dear, what did you think of Rare Exports? I loved this movie. <laughs> this is, gosh, man. Foreign Christmas movies for the win. <laughs> this movie was nuts. I loved it. I The kid is adorable. He definitely kind of reminds me of like, you know, the, the Kevin McAllister kind of child, you know, very, very handy kid, knows his stuff. Um... And like it's just it's just a fun ride, and it really kind of um, takes what you're expecting of like a Santa Claus story, and and really really flips it. And I think it's so creative. What did you think? No, I completely agree. Um, the the movie starts out literally just like starting. You know, there is really not a lot of build up. It's a, it's an hour and twenty four minute movie, and so when it first got started, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, and like. But the story really moves pretty quickly, um, and and as we were going, I just kept on being like, you know, this is just getting better and better and better, um, because it's so fun and so inventive, and I think it does a really, I think it 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 has such a such an honest energy, you know, it's. Um, it's so well crafted. It's really well acted, um, and so like for me, it was just sort of this really big surprise, you know. And and since we didn't really know any of, of the plot at all, um, as we started it out, you know, it starts out with this excavation with this um, almost Indiana Jones esque uh, research scientist dude, like finally getting to to the excavation site and. This movie is essentially, to do a better d- job describing it, I think, than the plot synopsis does, it's essentially kind of like a Krampus-Spielberg kind of story, in the sense that it has, you know, this dr- this real dramatic element to it, this supernatural element to it that obviously also comes with the Krampus elements. But at the core of it is ultimately a really touching father and son story. Yeah, 
No, and um, and you definitely get to see their relationship. They become closer as the as the movie goes on through this crazy adventure story, and I think that you know it's just it's just super touching, but then also like kick ass. <laughs> yeah, because okay, so we'll we'll get into sort of spoilers now a little bit. Um, because honestly, like I don't think that we can really talk too much more about the movie without kind of, I don't I I want people to kind of watch it as as babe in the woods as we did um so it, mild spoilers i guess follow you know i won't get to to the end bit but essentially they've unearthed evil santa you find out that like long ago um like a, a group of you know indigenous people of that land trapped santa who was evil and monstrously huge in a in a lake and then they take that bit of ice that he's captured in and they drop him 400 meters down in this mountain and create this huge burial mound to forever and always keep evil Santa and his helpers locked away. And it's it's bananas. It's so, ah, uh, it's so fun, you know, because, like, they... They build it so naturally and the movie is... It's like I said, it's only 124 minutes, but like every minute is used effectively in this movie. You know what I mean? And that's really, really impressive for me. And you can kind of see where it's going on a certain level, but like I, uh, they finally capture this old guy, right? That they think is Santa. And, yeah. and so, and pretty much once they capture the old guy, you're constantly like, okay. So that's evil Santa, all right, and you're like expecting it to go one way, and and the movie regularly diverts to what you're not expecting quite as much. Oh yeah, no, they they capture this this you know very very classic looking Santa, except you know minus I guess all of all of what we think of Santa. You know he's really skinny, but he's very old, long silver beard, and there's just something off about him. And so you're like, oh yeah, this is totally evil Santa. You know, everybody is there. They've like gone out hunting at one point for for deer mm-hmm. or, you know, some reindeer, kind of, yeah. reindeer and and all of the reindeer have been like slaughtered and they're like, oh, you know, wolves have clearly done this. And like the whole time while looking at this skinny Santa, I was like, how did he eat all of those reindeer? Mm-hmm. You know, something's off about this weird, crazy old man. And it, it isn't even really like they ate ate them. It's just like that you come across a field of like 40 just like butchered animals, like not even really thoroughly eaten all the way. It's not like it's a bunch of bones and remains. It's kind of like that scene in um, the first Jurassic World movie where uh, Claire and... Uh, Owen come across the like dying brachiosaur and then they walk over the hill and it's like the field of all the dead um, sauropods that have just been murdered by the Indominus like not even for hunting purposes you know and so it's like what is this and um, it has also you know this very early on it has the great characterization of like the father and the son and the dad is like this very stoic man you know who who wants his son to grow up but he doesn't know necessarily how he's supposed to do this sort of stuff and he's not very good at it and the mother is gone 
Um, which again, I think also goes back to like that Spielberg kind of thing, you know, it's a, it's on a certain level, a coming of age story Mm -hmm. for the, for the young kid and, and his father learning that like his son has, has more value, you know, than it seems like, uh, his son has in, from his perspective, you know, um, super fun movie. Oh yeah. Had a blast watching this movie. Honestly, it, and it really felt like I was in the, watching it from like the right country with the the right people, you know, to have this kind of really like old lore Santa story kind of thing. Because you know, we all we all assume that that from from what we've heard that like Santa was like probably from you know these these. Gosh, where where even are we in the the Northern Lights kind of area, you know, because he lives in like the North Pole and stuff like it just feels appropriate that these people are going to be like the the first affected by by Santa coming back and and now, you know, stealing children and and it's 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 bananas. Honestly, couldn't recommend this movie enough. It's my new favorite holiday movie. (laughs) Yeah, because it's. It's it's again, you know, as as we talked about with Austin, it's this it's this really fun take on on Christmas, you know, and that's why I liked the Krampus movie, which again has that similar kind of concept, right, of this kid, you know, smacking right into the real root of the tradition. And and I like that both of these films, you know, have this kind of let's go back to the old myth of it you know we have scrubbed clean so many of the old fairy tales that you know like some of the some of the meaning of them themselves have been diluted by the cleaner version of the story and so i love that both of these go back and 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 look at the roots of of christmas lore uh and examining it and where it came from and that a lot of those old fairy tale type stories also came with a real dark side. And honestly, I think that the, they just did a really good job of making this movie feel creepy when it needed to feel creepy. Because I feel like so often in movies, they show too much of of like the action, you know? So there were times when like, they, you know, we got the, the guys with guns and we'd like pan the camera over to another and you'd just hear like a yoink and a scream. And mm-hmm. then like you'd see his gun fall and we never saw what happened to him, but you know he's dead now. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a little bit of a of a slow boil. It's a lot of atmosphere. And then once you get to the big climactic finale, it's it's in that sense a little bit of the pacing of like hot fuzz, right? There isn't really that much action, um, or all that much ex- you know exciting things happening all of the time. We go along, we go along, we go along, and then suddenly it's a huge finale, mm-hmm. um, and so it makes it feel really earned, and it works really really well. Um, and yeah, I, it's 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 a really lovely, fun movie. And then the the whole big this is big spoilers. So the whole big thing at the end is that um, this isn't actually Santa. This is just one of Santa's helpers. And there are actually like a hundred or more of these weird naked old men 
running around, and these are all of the people who have been kind of creating our image of Santa, of this old bearded man, because that's the person that people see Mm -hmm. checking in on them and leaving gifts and things like that. And it turns out that, that Santa is this massive, monstrous creature that is still encased in a block of ice, and so even our finale isn't really them versus this big creature. It's them versus this, like, mindless horde of of santa's helpers yeah oh gosh no and the 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 huge santa has like gigantic horns very Mm -hmm. very krampus-esque and we like never get to see him which is which is such a which is such a bummer but like uh it's 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 you don't even need it you know honestly if if I, i was telling paul when we watched it if this movie had been made in America, there would have been a huge like boss battle fight with with these with these you know ragtag group of people versus this giant you know god like ten story tall Santa or something you know it would have been it would have just been too much and I think that I think that this movie just knows exactly where it wants to sit you know mm-hmm. um, honestly one of my favorite parts of the movie was the was the beginning with this old man who's like. Very much like a John Hammond kind of person. Honestly, this movie kind of reminded me a lot of the original Jurassic Park, but, you know, unearthing something Mm -hmm. dangerous that was long gone for personal gain. Mm -hmm. And he hands out this, like, rule list to all of the workers that are, like, you know, basically all of the rules for Santa, Mm -hmm. you know, no cursing. No cursing, no smoking. It was he basically knew exactly what he was doing, and none of the guys take it seriously. But I just one of my favorites is just him handing out this like list of like you gotta be nice, not naughty, while you're digging up Santa's you know remains. Loved it. Yeah, and again, I think I think it's almost impossible to look at this and not feel at least the influence of. I think especially particularly Spielberg. Um, but that's something that, again, has especially as we've been doing these international looks, uh, I, I and I hammer it home, you know, again in the last one, so I, I apologize that this is repetitious, but I love, I, I truly enjoy seeing iconography and ideas and themes and and the work of a filmmaker so clearly echoed and influencing, you know, a director all the way over in Finland to make this wacky christmas movie that i think is just so fun no yeah and with with a holiday like christmas since there's so many movies about the holiday it is so refreshing to to watch a completely different interpretation of it you know it's got all of the the holiday isms in it without you know them being shoved down your your throat with with figgy pudding and (laughs) and all that jazz you know uh just just so good honestly like let's 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 do more like this it it was just like a a nice palate cleanser it was it was a great roller coaster ride to watch this movie yeah, and you know, for me we we started the the holiday month with with eight crazy nights that that definitely put like a real um damper, I think, for me on on how pumped I was about uh about the theme for the month and I was like, ugh, you know, maybe Honestly, I was thinking for for a little bit afterwards. I was like, maybe maybe I overdid. Maybe I overcommitted. Like maybe I I'll want to jump out of this theme 
and and just walk it back. Uh, but the international episode really has has made me be like, nah, this was a good choice. Like this has been a lot of fun, and you can also again see that um, across you know these two films again. I think that they really land all of the things that a Christmas movie needs, you know, um, because ultimately they get their miracle at the end, right? Their miracle that saves their their farm, you know, kind of a thing. And, um, and it's about family at the end of it all, and it's about togetherness, um... And, and a feeling of, you know, forgiveness and of wanting to do the right thing. And I think that both Tokyo Godfathers and um, and Rare Exports both really, really nailed that for me. Yeah, it's this, um, this underdog story. Both of them are, you know, finding value in the in society's least expected places you know with with tokyo godfathers it's it's finding value in this in this group of homeless people who just want to do right by this child and rear exports is is finding value in this this child's opinion and validating his his thoughts and his plan at the end is the thing that like saves the day Mm -hmm. and it's great you know all of these adults think that they know what they're talking about and you know you just need to sit down and be a kid and we'll do all the adulting and at the end of the day he steps up and is like no guys i know exactly what we need to do Mm -hmm. and like they all just shut up and listen basically at this point because they're so in awe of the fact that this child has been right the entire time you know he's been screaming from the rooftops basically that santa's real and nobody wants to believe him and then when they see this horrifying monster at the end they're like crap you know what else do you know that i don't know i'm gonna sit down and let you take care of this a little bit Mm -hmm. absolutely great yeah and i think you don't need much yeah i think it's a i think it's a sliding scale of how much or how little your movie needs but i think that all christmas movies um typically have some amount of magical realism happening in them uh, unless you're doing just, you know, really plate standard sort of Hallmark stuff. Uh, I, and I, I really enjoy also that that sense of wonder, because I think that that is also supposed to be a part of it. Um, and with both Tokyo Godfathers and with this, you also have the, the ever-important element, not of all Christmas films, but of some Christmas films, of the child's perspective. You know, because... We do often think so much about, you know, kids coming down and opening presents and, like, how magical a time it is for children. And so I think that it's interesting that two of these films also included, you know, very core, a child perspective. um, Which is a part of a a lot of other holiday films that I enjoy. Um, Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, right? His, His kid is definitely a, a sort of core perspective in that movie. Krampus, we're following the kid, you know, it's about the family, but our our core beating heart of the movie is this kid spurned by bad actors on Christmas, mm-hmm. you know. Um, no, absolute blast. Really, really enjoyed uh, the experience. I thought that it was delightful. Oh, yeah. You know, it may not be the right movie for everybody, but if you're okay with a little action in your Christmas movie, I... A little weird. Yeah, no, totally recommend this movie for sure to to anybody who is willing to watch it. Dear, if you you had to give uh, 
Rare Exports a, a score, what would you give it? Oh, five all the way. No, yeah, five as well. Uh, and maybe that's being overly generous, but but it was just such a such a, a blast and such a uh, a breath of fresh air, and I really I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen it, definitely go and and give honestly both of these movies a watch. They're both great. Yes, completely, and and they're they're not what you're expecting from a holiday movie, and I think that that's the best thing about them. You know, they've got all of the all of the the holiday isms without it feeling like it should be on Hallmark for free every holiday on repeat. No, absolutely. Um, well, I guess um, we can move on to... Actually, we haven't really been watching much of anything outside of... I was about to be like, we could move on to what we've been watching. Um, oh, here's one thing that we did recently watch. Uh, Stand By Me. Uh, let me tell you, a little micro-review here real quickly. Incredible film. Uh, I'm so disappointed that we don't talk about Rob Reiner as an incredible director more, because he did a phenomenal job with this film, and uh, this is probably the only like non-Film Butts-related thing that we've watched lately. Um, I think it's tremendous. I think it's a great little movie. Oh yeah, no, honestly, there's so such a rare opportunity for child actors to really shine, and River Phoenix just blows this whole movie out of the water. I I I can't recommend it enough. It's 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 a beautiful, beautiful coming of age story about these these four boys. And if you haven't watched it, I would I would recommend it, honestly. For sure. Um there isn't really much media news. You know, there's been a lot of trailers getting dropped lately. We're kind of building into Oscar season. Uh, you know, West Side Story just came out. It's getting rave reviews. Um, I haven't caught any of the new trailers that have dropped. I still haven't seen the Across the Spider-Verse trailer. So, um, but a little bit of a slow news period right now. Honestly, not terribly much happening. Um, the IATSE and several other unions have recently started working on trying to uh, get Congress to reinstate a tax break for uh, production crews and that sort of thing. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but honestly, I guess not terribly much new to report, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the, the end of the year is coming, so... Things are starting to slow down as they usually do as people get, you know, into the holiday spirit and, and shop till they drop, <laughs> as, the, as the saying goes. No, yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, since it's, since it's my birthday, I'll, I'll let y'all know some famous people uh, that I share a birthday with. I share a birthday, December 9th, with the late Red Fox. Uh... I also share a birthday with Bo Bridges, who turned 80 today. Good for Bo. Nice. Uh, Jeff just had a birthday a few days ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, I share a birthday with uh, convicted uh, actor Felicity Huffman, <laughs> most recently known for bribing people to get her daughter into college. Because that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Kids, kids, forget your forget your lessons. Don't pass a single class. Just have mommy and daddy pay for it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, I share a birthday with two late greats. Uh, the late 
Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas's father, uh, who only died last year at like the age of 106 or something like that. Um, I also share a birthday with Margaret Hamilton, uh, who was the Wicked Witch of the West many, many years ago in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and the last two big ones, one of my personal favorite actors, John Malkovich, turned 68 today. Happy birthday to dear John. And last but absolutely never least in any fucking room, uh, turning 87 today, Dame Judi Dench. Ah, delightful. Happy birthday to Dame Judy. Happy birthday to all December 9th babies. Yeah, if you're out there and and you're a listener with a December 9th birthday, give yourself a little little pat on the back, a little lap around the room, and uh, put on birthday by the Beatles. Do it. You won't be disappointed. It's a blast. Um, I guess that's all that we have time for. Is there anything else that you would like to to say to the listeners, dear, before we go? Stay warm, and a very happy holidays to all out there, regardless of what you celebrate. I hope that it is the best that it can be. For sure. Um, be sure to come back next week. We're going to be doing Criminal Christmas. I finally figured out what, what I want to call it. Uh, hopefully it will include eight women. Uh, if not, it will probably definitely be including L.A. Confidential, and probably in Bruges. Um, so that one might actually be a threefer. So, yeah, be sure to turn in, tune in next week for that. Um, if you haven't, go back and listen to last week's episode. Uh, follow us on all of our socials. Uh, send us an email at thefilmbudspodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, keep warm, keep your head up. This time of year can also sometimes be hard for people. And, um, you know, if, if you're one of those people, it, it, it'll, 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 it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so keep on listening. Have a good one, guys. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.